Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the Paleo View listeners. I'm so excited to tell you what I'm sure you're already reading on your phone, but takes us a minute to realize, Sarah, it's episode 300. I, I'm kind of shocked at the idea that we have had 300 recorded conversations that Matt has edited and put up on the internets. It's, that's a lot, everybody. And, um, for those of you that have hung in from the beginning, wow. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And congratulations for making it through. Hopefully we have not delivered too many gray hairs for you. (laughs) Well, it's not just our 300th podcast anniversary, but you have another anniversary to share, right? I do. So it's the week of Wesley's birthday, which also means that it's my eight-year paleoversary. Um, So I went paleo two days after giving birth to Wesley in an effort to give up dairy from my breast milk to avoid colic. And it worked so well. (laughs) I added a few other elimination foods and stuck with it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's been quite a journey over eight years. I mean, the community has changed and all that kind of stuff. And while our blog isn't named Paleo anymore, we are certainly living the lifestyle that supports a Paleo template that works for us, low inflammatory foods and prioritization of nutrient density. Um, so it's it's so interesting to have a milestone like this because I remember it being associated with Wesley's birth. It's not like it comes and goes and then I realize later that I missed it. Um, so it's interesting to reflect back and think about all the different amazing adventures that we've had on this journey for eight years. And um, where we started or, you know, what, what our prioritizations were and where they are now and all the things that we've learned in the meantime. So for those that have been on this adventure with us, um, I hope that you too have had a lot of growth and realization and, and all the amazing things that have come with a journey like this, because there's really nothing better than to learn all this stuff about yourself. And I wouldn't have ever had the impetus to do that without first finding a recipe for paleo ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, like when you first went paleo, I know that my, like my initial sort of three or four months on paleo was very elimination focused. And uh, it was, it was quite a while before I, like found paleo treat recipes and learned that that could 
that could be something that could still fit into my life. Um, what was your sort of like initial, like how did your your paleo implementation sort of change in that, in those early days? Like not, I realized that, you know, even how we define paleo has changed pretty dramatically over eight years, but what was that beginning part of that journey like? Yes, it was interesting because I started on Lauren Cordain's book, which allowed for Diet Coke and canola oil paleo. Um <laughs> So obviously a lot has changed since then. Um, and I remember specifically that about a week in, we went on a picnic at a farm and I went to the store to get picnic stuff and was so confused about how to pack a picnic without sandwiches that I ended up getting wraps, low carb wraps that had wheat in them. And I remember saying to the people at the picnic who were like, oh, we thought you were gluten-free. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't really have a problem with gluten. I'm just oh. doing it because it's part of this 30-day thing. And this is still low-carb, so it'll be fine. And I vividly remember that conversation and eating that wrap and then feeling sick later and realizing maybe I do have a problem with gluten. <laughs> and now to know how very, very severe uh, my reaction to gluten is. And I never would have known, like all the health conditions that I had previously, all the numerous, numerous health conditions that I had, and what additional health conditions would I have had I not changed? You know, that the difference between being in your 20s and being in you know, entering late 30s is quite different in terms of how your body reacts to to stress and inflammation and that kind of stuff. So um, I often, I mean, I'm so grateful that I discovered it, but I also am like, wow, what would have happened if I hadn't, you know, like I already had so many health issues. If I would have continued doing something that I know now when I reintroduce, it makes me so sick. I go into anaphylactic shock. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have I wouldn't have discovered that because I would have had such inflammation at such high rates. You know, I had high white blood cell count. And I don't know. I don't want to repeat my story entirely, but um, I had such health issues that I had no idea were tied to gluten because it was so systematic and problematic that it wasn't until I removed it. So the answer to your question <laughs> in the very long format is uh, changed a lot for sure. And I did not do a lot of treat recipes, although paleo ice cream was the thing that I Googled. I Googled dairy-free ice cream and the word paleo came up and that took me down a wonderful rabbit hole. Um, I didn't do treat recipes until um, probably at least a month or two in. Um, and like you, it just kind of, it seemed overwhelming. It seemed confusing. It and it was incongruent with the blood sugar and carbohydrate um, heavy-handedness of the original paleo paleo days. Hmm. And so I remember eating like frozen cherries or like ninety-nine percent really dark chocolate, um, different things like that that I could purchase that were more single ingredient type foods. And it wasn't until a couple months in that we started playing with um, recipes and it was Alana's pantry and Kelly from the spunky coconut. Those were the two blogs at the time that had any sort of grain free 
recipes. Nobody that anybody follows right now <laughs> was making recipes eight years ago, I which is why very, we wrote our first cookbook. Yeah. I think my very first treat recipe was also from Alana's pantry. Yeah. Um, and it was, I think I had made it through, I started um, like I'm three and a half months out for my seven year paleo anniversary and I made it through Halloween without a single piece of candy and like fun size candy bars were my thing. <laughs> like they, uh, I didn't, I couldn't imagine anything more joyous than a bucket full of fun size candy. So, um, getting through Halloween, taking my kids trick or treating because I was still, um, I was still on the, like trying it out for myself before deciding whether or not I was going to continue or whether or not I wanted my family on board. Like I was not in that decision-making process yet. Uh, by Halloween, which was like two months in. Um, but it was shortly after that, that I, I was like, it, it had been such a sort of victory to get through Halloween without a treat. But at the same time, it had, it had made it really feel like, um, if this is, if this is how like everyday life is going to be for the rest of my life, like something, something needs to give here. And I need to figure out a way of having a treat that, that feels, you know, like, that I'm not feeling so deprived like this or else I'm just going to fall off this wagon. And, um, and so I think the very first thing I made was like a almond coconut bar with chocolate. Um, that was a recipe from Alana's pantry that had very, very little sugar in it. And, uh, and that was like, it just, it completely changed my world. Cause also I had had a couple of months of very sort of whole 30 esque, um, even though Whole30 wasn't a thing yet, um, you know, very, very strict paleo, no treats, not even very much fruit because I came to paleo from this, from low carb. So I, even without <laughs> Lauren Cordain's low carb extra focus at, in those early days of paleo, like I came with that, that um, sort of misguided belief that low carb was healthy and I was sort of layering paleo on top of it rather than um, the other way around. And um, and so I, I made these treats and because my, my sugar taste buds were so sensitive after not having any kind of sweet flavor whatsoever for months, they were just like, they were just the most amazing thing. And it's been one of the things that I learned from that is how much more enjoyable a treat is when it is occasional. And when I try, I try very hard to maintain that level of sensitivity with my sweet taste buds so that a piece of fruit feels very indulgent so that 85 or 90% chocolate feels like a really sweet, delicious chocolate. And that's, that's one of the things from those early days, even though I've learned a lot and I've changed a lot about how I implement paleo since then, that's one of the like learning opportunities that I had early on that I kept. Yeah, I think it's really important that when you're focused on like nutrient density and low inflammatory, like that's just what I remind myself is, is this nutrient dense? Is it reducing or not contributing to inflammation? And for me personally, while sugar, I don't feel it in my bones or I don't necessarily um, get a lot of acne from it unless it's paired with like bad dairy or something like that. Um, I know that it is causing inflammation in my body. And so I think it's, it's one of those things that is a good reminder for me on, um, 
when we do treats, we try to do them in a mindful sort of way. Like either we know that we are partaking in something and it's a, a one-time thing. Um, and we go and we get a cupcake and we don't make a huge cake that then sits in our house. Or, um, if we are going to make something, we do kind of one of our own recipes where we're sweetening with dates that we know has minerals and fiber and different kinds of things where your body handles the sugar differently. So I think that's a really kind of good segue into what we want to talk about later. But first, we have to Actually, do something special that we want to do differently for episode 300. For those listeners that have recently started listening to us, you might not know, but we originated the show in segments. And um, the segments were pretty, like, strict. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had sounds and we had formatting and we had different sort of things. And we, we would jump into different segments of the show. And we moved into more of a format that was comfortable for us from a conversation standpoint. And also that we felt like you as listeners would have an easier time following or listening along. But I like the idea of carving out um, a a little bit of, a little bit of time for a standalone segment and weeks where we can pull it together in time. What do you think, Sarah? Are you talking about, a segment suggested by longtime listener Tom. Tom, yes, one of our our six male listeners, Tom. <laughs> I had the pleasure of meeting Tom at PaleoFX, and we had a very very long conversation. And it's you know it's one of the things that I said uh, before going to PaleoFX and uh, after when we did our, our check in show that one of my favorite it's it's really is my favorite part is to meet podcast listeners because. We are, I think, ourselves more on the podcast than we are anywhere else. There's just something about the conversational, unscripted style of this podcast, um, the fact that we do tend to share more personal stuff about our weeks at the beginning of the show, um, the fact that we get to um, have these conversations that are this amazing combination of science nerd and practical with a little bit of like sarcasm and the occasional pun thrown in like that, that combination I think is a, a bigger window into us as people than you get from reading something that we've written on social media or being a part of our newsletters as much as we try to, um, you know, share in those formats as well, there's something about the podcast that just sort of takes it to a much more personal level. And so I always love meeting podcast listeners because there's this like instant, there's this instant connection, right? It's, it's people who know us very, very well because they've been listening to us for sometimes years. And, um, and also it, you know, the, the people who are our regular listenership, even though that number keeps growing, you know, we are all like-minded individuals. We have something in common. Like People are only going to spend that time listening to this podcast if they like what we have to say. And so that means that the type of people who are regular listeners tend to be uh, just, you know, similar, you know, similar in priorities and, and value systems to us. So, Our BFFs if we knew them in real life. Right, exactly. So I got to meet Tom, and it was a very memorable and wonderful conversation. I jumped right into teasing him, which was probably not appropriate, except that it went really well, so it was fine. Um, but Tom sent me a follow-up email to just you know 
thank me for meeting me in person. And I wanted to read it on the show, A, because Tom is listening right now and he is freaking out, which is awesome. Uh, and B, because his suggestion was was phenomenal. And I thought uh, a really neat way to sort of maybe uh, adjust as we move forward after episode 300. So this is from Tom's email. Sarah, I just wanted to tell you how great it was meeting you in person and chatting after hours and hours of one-way listening via the podcast. Congrats on the 5 million downloads, by the way. The other five listeners must have been super busy on iTunes. Uh, that is a reference to me joking that 5 million downloads meant that those six male listeners were uh, doing a lot of downloading. <laughs> <laughs> you are as amazing and awesome in real life as you seem to be online. A thought for the podcast that I didn't get a chance to share when we were talking. I would love to hear you guys read some more fan mail slash reviews on the show. You can include this one. It's a great way for us listeners to kind of connect with others who love you too so much. I didn't meet Tom, but I like you, Tom. I'm a big fan of yours as well. Thanks for the kind words and great idea. Um, we do get... I, I like that. We do get some emails from people, but it's mostly like one or two lines in podcast questions because they know that we obviously prioritize those questions. Clearly, um, clearly. But I would love to hear from podcast listeners. In particular, we need you to tell us if it's okay to share because I do get these emails privately and I never know really what I what people are comfortable with me sharing. But I would love to hear how... The podcast has influenced people's lives, hopefully in a positive sort of way. Um, you know, whether my opening up about Cole's ADD, ADHD, or my opening up about depression. I know that I get like, I got a ton of feedback from people during those time periods, how helpful that was. And so if you have an experience listening to the show that you would like to share with listeners to maybe refer them back to listen to something that they're not aware of or that helped you figure something out in your life that you want us to share with listeners or something that Sarah did or said that really inspired you in a sort of way or opened your eyes up to the science of something like we would love to hear that feedback and share it because we are a community and it's unfortunate that we can't all just stand in a circle and sing Kubaya holding hands together um, although, you know, I would try to avoid that, like the I plague. Would, I would so love that. Too. <laughs> but this can be our virtual kumbaya, which I'm so much more comfortable with. <laughs> I just have like the strongest visual now, too, of us wearing like long, like embroidered robes and just like, <laughs> swaying back and forth, holding hands. And can you see uh, my eyes rolling in your vision? Yes, I can actually see you like trying to figure out a way to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so thank you, Tom, for the great suggestion. And listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Sarah and I both have contact forms on our website that you can um, submit to. Uh, I also, I don't know if your Instagram is like this, Sarah, but I have like an email button right on my Instagram profile page that you can also use to contact me. I don't have the email button linked on my Instagram, but um, another great option is commenting on the social media shares about this podcast or posting a review on iTunes because we read those too. So um, there's lots of ways that you can can share um, how, you know, 
what this podcast has has meant to you, whether it's new on your on your listen list or if you've been with us for the uh, coming up on six years that we've been doing this. Um, yeah, we'd we'd love we'd love to hear your stories. Now, so speaking of uh, stories, I think mm-hmm. relative to the conversation we were having earlier, um, one of the biggest struggles that people have with sticking with an elimination diet or paleo or whatever you're going to call it, AIP, Whole30, doesn't does any categorization of this kind of thing, is the presence of those non I don't I'm like tripping over my words because I really don't want to w- use things like um not allowed foods or like I don't want to assign negative um feelings to them but foods that are not on a list that you're trying to prioritize are around it can be difficult to avoid them and Sarah you and I have talked about this before one of the like earliest things that we tell people to do to set themselves up for success is get the stuff out of their house so that it's not even there as an option. Um, So I think it's really kind of relevant when we're talking about looking back at paleo over the years and what kind of issues come up for us personally and also um, are recurring for people no matter where they are in their journey is this question from Amanda that we got. We did. And I'm going to read this question. I think it is actually a really interesting thing to talk about on this milestone show. So Amanda writes, I'm trying to figure out a plan for family visits. My husband's family comes into town and stays at the oldest brother's house on the other side of the neighborhood for two to three days, which means the leftovers and treats stay until they're gone. I can't just not go over there to visit while they're here, but I can't handle that kind of temptation either. Last year we gave in and I'm still caving to sugar and salt cravings. Any advice is truly appreciated. I feel for Amanda. I do. I think it's easier for me because I cannot have gluten. So anything that has gluten is a non-option for me. But I definitely have a harder time with things like ice cream. If I'm, for example, not feeling it or, you know, it's it's not something that I want to consume or maybe I'm having a bout of inflammation that I'm trying to reconcile. Um, and, you know, two things that I want to mention, and I know you're going to go into the science of nutrient density. I'm, I'm assuming you're going to talk about that. Um, but I, for me, one of the things that I have to do is tell myself that I'm making a choice to not do that. I think that the idea of temptation and difficulty and and we miss it and we want it and we assign all these feelings to the food, I think that makes it more difficult for us than if we're able to say, I'm choosing not to eat this. It's a choice that I'm making because I value my health or because I'm prioritizing healing right now or whatever it is that is your story, your message is so important to tell yourself during that time period, especially if you know it's going to be there beforehand, um, to tell yourself, you know, there's going to be something there that I would otherwise have, but today I'm going to make the choice to not have it. Um, and really give yourself that pep talk and, and think about how you're going to talk to yourself so that there isn't a negative voice and there isn't you know, temptation, anticipate 
that a grandma is going to say, oh, just one bite's not going to hurt you. Um, because if you're not prepared for that, it's really easy to get caught into the spiral of once you start and you have that that taste, it's it's like a snowball effect and it's so much more difficult to get off the ride once it started going down the hill pretty fast. So, um, but I, I know Sarah, we've, we've talked previously about different ways that we handle food cravings and mm. foods that help with that based on, um, nutrient sufficiency and different things that bodies might be craving. And I, I think it'd be good to recap that. I don't know if you have other ideas. Um, no, I think that's a really important aspect of this. There's, there's, obviously a practical aspect of uh, planning ahead. And one of the things that we've talked about before is like having the thing that you can eat and bring it with you. So if you know there's going to be cookies there, bring your own paleo cookies that you can have. Um, it's not as obviously as ideal as not eating cookies, but it's going to be better than eating uh, cookies that are full of ingredients that are going to get you on that addiction cycle. So there's that practical aspect, but there's this also this very physiological aspect to sugar and salt cravings. So there are certain nutrients that we know when we're not getting enough of that that can drive cravings. Um, in particular, uh, calcium, chromium, vitamin C, and magnesium. And in part, these are all nutrients that are required for processing those uh, high calorically dense foods. So they're, they're important for the refined sugars. Like even salty foods are still going to be refined sugars, whether they're sweet or not, right? You're thinking about potato chips or pretzels. Um, so all of those foods have refined sugars and those four nutrients are really, really important for um, just being able to process going through those refined nutrients. But we also have some interesting studies showing that calcium and magnesium deficiency, for example, can actually drive cravings. So we end up in this, this very vicious cycle. So sugar, for example, depletes magnesium. Magnesium plays a role in stabilizing blood sugar. So when magnesium levels are too low, we don't regulate our blood sugar level very well. And then we go on this high and low of blood sugar, which drives sugar cravings. So we get this um, what's called reactive hypoglycemia. Sugar's been too high, then it gets too low, and that drives cravings even farther. So there's there's these certain nutrients that we know can be linked to sugar cravings when we're not getting enough. Um, but there's also the whole other flip side of it, which is lifestyle focus. So for example, we know when we're stressed, we tend to crave more energy-dense foods. And there's actually some really interesting research in um, mice that showed, um, you know, they they uh, typically would do a stress like uh, a swimming stress. So uh, the mice are swimming and they don't have a, they get tired. And this is a psychological stress for them. And uh, and then if you put them you know, sort of back in their cage, they will exhibit stress behaviors. So mice, for example, will, will pull out their own hair or pull out the hair of other mice in the cage with them. It's called barbering. And so these studies will show, you know, you know, stress causes all of these stress behaviors. But if you give these animals access to energy dense foods, and it typically doesn't matter whether it's sugar or fat, um, but if you give them sort of this high calorically dense food, it actually is neuroprotective. So it actually uh, decreases the behaviors associated with 
stress, which is a really interesting mechanism. It's obviously something that makes a lot of sense from a historical point of view where we're only exposed to acute stressors. So you have an acute stressor, you can imagine that um, a big influx of energy is going to help recovery because an acute stressor in uh, sort of paleolithic time would have been uh, an injury. It would have been, um, you know, hunting or being hunted. It would have been something like that. And some kind of influx of energy would have been really important for recovery and repair. In the case of chronic stress, um, it may be neuroprotective, but it's causing all of these other problems and other problems that eventually impact nervous system health. So it, it sort of backfires. So it's, it's kind of one of those, again, one of those systems that works really well when it's aligned with historic exposures, right? Historic stress exposures, historic food exposures, and it's not very aligned with our modern lives. So stress is another big driver of, of sugar and salt cravings. And it's sort of hard to uh, do something acutely to reduce chronic stress. So managing chronic stress really requires commitment and dedication. It requires um, increasing resilience activities in the day. So doing things like mindfulness practice or a walk or uh, cuddling with your family or petting uh, an animal or uh, yoga practice or just having some downtime to sit and read a book or, or do a jigsaw puzzle. You know, all of those things can actually make us more resilient to stress. So it just means that our physiological response is not as high. It's more measured compared to what the psychological stressor is. So we're not flipping out because we got stuck in traffic. We're going, oh, that's annoying. I got stuck in traffic. Um, so resilience activities become really, really important. But there's not a like, there are a few things that can uh reduce stress on the short term, like going for a walk can have a measurable effect right afterwards. Mindfulness practice can have a measurable effect right afterwards, but you're getting a much bigger effect when these things are a regular part of your life. Um, sleep is also something that can really drive cravings. So not getting enough sleep drives cravings for energy-dense foods. That can be sugar, salt, um, fat. It can be any of the, a combination of them. It can be all of them. Different people just sort of tend to um, as there, we actually have some genes that tend to um, determine whether or not we're more susceptible to sugar cravings or salt or, or if we're one of those people who will take whatever happens to be on offer. Um, so not getting enough sleep, it increases our hunger, it messes with our hunger hormones, it uh, messes with our dopamine responses, so we actually get less reward from eating, which makes us more likely to want to eat more. And so it actually creates the same type of cycle that um, is happening in addiction. And it's one of the reasons why not getting enough sleep is a independent risk factor for addiction relapse. So not getting enough sleep can also make a huge difference cravings in terms of hunger and getting enough sleep we know from a variety of um, studies that getting enough sleep makes people more drawn to healthy foods. So they're more likely to choose fruit and vegetables over fast food, for example. And so, and more likely, actually, you know, getting enough sleep is also a really, really important aspect of managing stress. So getting enough sleep typically is one of the best things that you can do for reducing stress levels. So there's this 
nutrient deficiency piece and there's there's lifestyle piece that can be dialed in that basically is um they're just it's about making the level of temptation lower. So if you're not dealing with these other sort of confounding factors internally that are making you naturally drawn to those foods, if you can get, you know, get those things dialed in so that food basically doesn't have as, you know, a, a big of a hold on you, then you've got, I, I don't want to use the willpower word, but you basically have a higher ability for inhibited behavior, which means your ability to choose not to do something is higher. I think the um, concept too of bringing something that will satiate you is helpful. And I know for me also having alternative food choices that um, not just satiate me, but also fill that nutrient void. So I think I said it on the podcast earlier, but I'm going to say it again. And you did know what you were talking about when you (laughs) said eating an orange because fat used to be my go-to when I would crave um, particularly sugars. And you had said that, I think you said grapefruit or something something high in vitamin C was was your go-to. And so I've started doing an orange or a clementine or, you know, tangerine, what, whatever's available in the store. And that has been awesome and really helpful for me. So I know that's not the same as going to your friend's house um, or your family's house where they, you know, have grandma's cake all prepared or whatever. Um, but I remember when my grandmother was still alive and I was first doing paleo um, and my family would really like pressure me into eating the food. And eventually I said to them, you want me to be healthier. You want me to be happy. You want me to feel good, right? And they all said yes. And I said, then I need you to support me in this thing that I'm doing because my didn't, like saying no to the cake doesn't mean that you don't get to enjoy the cake. Like we can, we can have this moment together without the food. Um, and it was like a moment that felt really difficult at the time, but afterwards made things so much easier. No one ever said a single word to me again, ever, suggesting that I eat the food. In fact, now when we go places and we order at a restaurant, my dad says, I'll have her gluten. You can bring her bread to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I think you just kind of have to break down the wall. I use humor you know, you can use whatever it is um, that you're comfortable with. But I think being prepared, both, you know, mentally and having some alternatives for yourself is really the best way forward. And also, if you choose to indulge, and you know, you have to be able to accept it and move on. We've talked about this so many times, because beating yourself up and having all this guilt and doing all this stuff is not going to, it's not going to change anything. The only thing that's going to change is the things Sarah talked about, prioritizing your sleep, nutrient density, and focusing on healing your body so that you can recover the best way possible. So this concept of 
I feel like, and Amanda, I don't mean to put this on you, but I feel like Amanda still has guilt about something she ate a year ago. And it's just that silly. Like, I don't even remember what I ate a year ago. You got to learn to let go of that (laughs) and focus on doing the best you can today and tomorrow. Um, I, I mean, that's such an amazing end message, but I do have one thing that I would like to insert, like, about two minutes ago, because <laughs> I, I, I really want to also sort of back that, like, you know, if you make the choice to indulge, like, it's fine. You know, paleo is about making the, you know, better choices more often, but it's also about sustainability. And it's, if we end up, you know, on this, uh, you know, on again, off again, can't stick to it because I'm, I'm living within a, such a, a strict regimen when I'm on paleo that it's, it's not sustainable, then that doesn't help with lifelong health. And the idea is to, you know, be as healthy as we can be for as long as we can live. So sometimes that means, not making the best choice and it's fine. Move on. And don't let that, don't let it, um, don't let it drive you into that guilt cycle because that guilt cycle actually supports making even more, not the best choices. But I also wanted to, to go back and say, I also see these types of events as opportunities to show people that the way I eat is not weird um, I think that, you know, I'm not trying to, um, you know, convert my my family, you know, those of my family members who have health issues and see the therapeutic potential of paleo or the autoimmune protocol are doing it. I have a couple family members who are paleo curious, but there's nothing that I'm going to say that is going to, like, be the nudge for them. Um, they will have to find that for themselves. So what I try to do is sort of, you know, demonstrate guess what? Paleo does include the occasional treat. Um, So I'll often bring um, paleo cookies or, you know, some kind of baked good to these types of events that A, that's the thing that I can, I can consume when I'm there. And B, I'm sharing it with everyone and they get to see that, oh, when you cook with these types of real food ingredients, you end up with really, really amazing flavors. So for example, um, my husband asked for me to make cookies for him to bring to work for an event this week. And I made um, the chocolate chip cookies that are out of Paleo Principles. And he came back. Apparently, he before anyone had a cookie, I <laughs> was not there. He, he said, uh, so these are Paleo cookies. They're dairy-free, grain-free, gluten-free, nut-free seed free. (laughs) He just like went on all the things that didn't have the allergen free. And people were just expecting them to taste like cardboard. And it's a really good cookie recipe. And so people actually then like had a cookie and they were like shocked that they're like delicious chocolate chip cookies. Uh, So that's I mean, I typically don't go in telling people about how none of their favorite ingredients are in these cookies. (laughs) It's not usually how I introduce it. But what was great about that was being able to demonstrate to those people that a paleo cookie is a delicious cookie that everyone can enjoy. And I know a lot of people who, who have expressed to me over the years that that discovery that paleo foods are delicious is what allowed them to finally do it and finally jump in. And so I see it as an opportunity, not 
not to, you know, be pushy about, you know, my way of eating and living on other people, but just to demonstrate that this very common um, idea that paleo equates to deprivation is false. And so just sort of giving that opportunity to be like, you know what, you actually still get to eat delicious food. In fact, I think my food is more delicious than your food. And so that's also a wonderful opportunity in these types of events, just to, you know, help other people learn a little bit more about healthy eating. Absolutely. Well, Happy 300th episode, everybody. And thank you for being here this long. And hopefully in future episodes, we can tell you some of our viewer fan favorites and different things that have um, connected with them over the years that we've been doing this. So don't forget to send us your comments and feedback so we can start incorporating that into the shows. And thanks again for being here with us. And we hope that this week was helpful. And of course, we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.